Hello, everybody, and thank you, Janet Lee. Whoa, I never, never, never get tired of hearing the style that you play. And today, broadcast part two, Exodus Escape. And we know that we're not just talking about the Exodus of Egypt, but we're talking about many, many other kinds of escape that goes all of the way back and actually connects to the book of Revelations when it talks about the fall of the angels and their ultimate escape from what Paul called, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And in the Old Testament, it was called a captivity. Well, God was raising up people all along in the corridors of time to get wizened, to get brightened. And there was a person by the name of Abram, who later was given the name Abraham. And God spoke to him and said, Abraham, look up to the stars. Look up to the stars, and if you can tell me their number, if you can count them, do so. Well, that's how things begin sometimes. God speaks and says, look up to the stars. Because people get habitual. They get into the dip of the mind. They get into broken down things that they just don't have the inertia to fix. But there is a place in God that even when you get old, you know, God says that you don't have to have the problems of being old. You can be old and not be feeble. You can be old and not be dull. You can be old and not be frustrated. You can be old and not be dimmed of your wit. Not be of a nature where you're, you've lost your memory or you've lost your ability to think or you've lost your, your gifts of knowing how to do things and your acuity of performing things. Yes, there's a place in God and there are so many mysteries, so many mysteries. And, and, and the Bible is so full of the flashes of light and the glistenings that are like Shekinah glories and auras that cannot always be understood by the first look at them or first consideration of their meanings. Like when you get into numbers, strange things can happen. In the Hebrew, when we're talking numbers of the hundreds, it is feminine. But if we're talking numbers of tens, it's masculine. And when we're talking like the number 12 as it equals a cube, that kind of a, of a cube means a day. Who would ever think by looking into the Bible and seeing something that describes a cube that it could 
be a code to be talking about a day. And that day, of course, a yom, being so many things, it could be generations, like in the second chapter of Genesis, the day of generations. It, it, it could be about a winter or a summer or a spring. There are so many possibilities. Well, last week we talked about a saying that had been made about how that as far as the signs of how the children of Israel were able to make it across the wilderness and cross the Red Sea, if there being any signs, archaeologically speaking, that there just seemed to be no signs. And we quoted this quote, the earth swallowed their footprints. Wow, that's quite an interesting thing. We talked about Mesopotamia and how that in that area there existed a city called Ur. You are sort of pronounced E-R, Ur. And that that was actually a, an abbreviation for Urim, like Urim and Thummim, perfection of lights. And we talked about how that the wheel came into invention, as far as history understands, in that area, which was not far from, from Babylon, not far from the Tower of Babel, and how that first there was these heavy kind of wheels used for drawing uh, carts with donkeys, mules, and oxen. But that later that that developed into wheels that were quite different and were used to make, to use to move chariots drawn by horses. And we know that there are all kinds of forensic, forensic bits of information throughout the Bible. Someone might say, well, I just wonder when it was actually that the children of Israel left Egypt. Well, we know that, that the son of Jacob, Joseph, came to Israel and he became second in command. And the Bible tells how that he went out riding on a chariot. So now we know that before the children of Israel ever left Egypt, that the invention of the wheel was already into use. And the invention in particularly of the chariot pulled by horses was also in use. And that when Joseph took his father to bury him in Canaan, he took soldiers with him and they rode on chariots pulled by horses. So there are clues that tell us. You go back and say, okay, well, when was the first chariot made? When was the first wheel discovered? And you get into the thing about wheel and you get into something that turns round and round and that has the pi number to it because it's a circle. 
And you get into all of these interesting things, and especially if you go into the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, chapter 10, you get into the prophet Ezekiel talking about wheels, and you see he personifies some of the wheels. There's the Gilgal wheel, but that is the literal physical wheel. But then there's the Ophan wheel, which is the personification of the Ophanims. And they are a people uh, who were once angels. And that is so interesting. Because the wheel revelation is not a minute thing. It's not an, an item that you just look over and turn the other page. It is something so deep, so relevant, so absolutely a certain, a certain of knowledge that once released is like a rushing mighty wind. And don't forget that little mention of the rushing mighty wind because that's about the rushings which it talks about in the Old Testament like the mulberry bush and the rushing that was in the mulberry bush. That was a spiritual thing. And then on the day of Pentecost, the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Ghost and its connection to the quickenings. Behold, I come quickly, the Bible says of Jesus. Well, that sort of gets us into what is a part of the message and we want to expand that because now we are stepping into a second absolutely deeply important uh, revelation that has to do with a, a depth of, of insight that we call the escape velocity. Now, the escape velocity should be pretty well known by an awful lot of people because you know that when you launch a rocket that it cannot make it up and away from the gravity of the Earth where it is, it is moving freely through the atmospheres and, and through the space beyond the atmospheres of the Earth unless it has a certain capability to create a momentum of thrust that has an equivalency of what is needed to launch it out of the gravity grip of the earth. And so that is called, so importantly, ex the escape velocity. And we're putting this into the vernacular of the escape velocity of knowledge. To be able to escape the bindings, the compressions, the anti-freedom holes, to be able to apply that escape velocity, both on earth and in the heavens. Because the Bible says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. And it's so interesting to really know what it really means when it says earth and what it really means when it says heavens. There are principles as I have written, that have to do with these binding forces of nature and the impeditions which they represent. 
But God has made it possible for there to be plans of escape. Plans of escape that allows a velocity of knowledge, a velocity of momentum that allows you to be free of the death hold of the gravity of dirt. It's all part of the revelations of the rushings and the turnings and the quickenings. It's all part of the underlying lining principles of the actions called the turnings that give you the power and the energy to rise as a wheel of whirlwind movement that allows you to escape, that allows you to enter a revelation of the quickenings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so excited. It is so excited. Well, we're going to get in. We're going to get into some interesting things. You know, if you're not careful how you read the Bible, it can be very confusing. Because the Bible is spoken in a special language. A language that goes along with the scripture that says when God is speaking, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God says things and does things differently than humans think and that humans equate how they think that God is thinking. Well, when they were getting ready to make this, this move, exactly what did happen. I talked to you a little bit about it last week. And I have talked to you about some of these things on the escape from Exodus in other teachings. But the one thing I have learned, if I was ever going to learn something of importance about the ministry, is that over and over again I am asked by people to repeat as often as possible some of these teachings, to say them again and say them in a little different way so that they can get the full and broadest uh, spectrum of the meanings. And so that's what I'm doing today. But on top of that, I'm loading into your Dagwood sandwich a whole lot more meat than I have ever put into it before. And so it's like a revelation that says, this is about a keyhole. And someone says, really? And then it's about the keyhole belonging to a handle. And it's about the handle belonging to a door. And it's about the door belonging to an opening to worlds without end. And it's just so exciting. <clears throat> well, they knew for quite some long time that Moses had come up from the Midianites had received a vision, had received a word from God, that on the mountain of Horeb, God had appeared as a burning bush, we call it a zith, that was glorified in a Shekinah glory. And that he was told, you can go back to Egypt now, 
Because all of the men who wanted you dead, they are dead. You can go back. Well, you see, even though Moses was 80 years old, his natural force, the Bible says, was not abated. His eyes were good. His ears were good. His muscles were good. His body was functional. His mind was sharp and clever. He had to get up and go. And obviously he had all the members of his body. And without all the members of your body, sometimes you just can't be accepted into the congregation of God. Now don't take that wrong and say that I'm talking about if you had a finger cut off, that you're out of luck. <laughs> but there is something that is it's cut off. You are kind of out of luck. And the Bible tells us in a particular place, and if I get to it later, I'll give you the scripture. It's in the book of Exodus, I believe. It says that if you have been damaged in your stones, that's te that means the same thing as testicles for a man. And a lot of men call it their balls, B-A-L-L-S. Mm. Sort of nasty to have to talk about that, but human. And it says if you're damaged there, you can't enter into the congregation of the, of the Lord. And if your private member is cut off, you can not only not enter in, you can, you, additionally, you can never be a priest. And that is fairly alarming in some ways. But it goes to show somehow this important connection to some meanings because if that private member is cut off, you can't be circumcised. And there is this law of circumcision which is attached to the law of the circumcision of the heart that has some incredibly deep meanings. Deeper than a person can even imagine. I mean, when God spoke to, to Moses and said, I want you to do this work. I want you to go and preach this message. I want you to go and deliver the children of Israel. And he said, what? Not me. I'm a nobody. And God said, hey, and I'm paraphrasing it. It's up to me to decide who's a nobody and who's not. And whether or not I may want to use a nobody. That's my job. Don't try to tell me what to do. But he says, I can't even talk well. He said, what are you holding in your hand? And this is an angel representing God. And he says, a rod. Now, people just think, okay, that's some kind of a staff, a stick. But, you know, a rod is a whole lot more than that because uh, each of the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes would hold a special rod. Uh, many times it would have carved out on that rod the face of the forefather. So it was a genetic connection. Very importantly, a genetic connection. And so Moses had this rod, this genetic staff, this genetic rod, which was a lattice connection to his forefather. And he was using it, you know, to get around, not like a cane, but for various things that he might need it for. God said, what is that you have there? He said, it's, it's a rod. He says, throw it down on the ground. And Moses threw it down on the ground. And when I say God, I'm talking about God is represented by the angel. And Moses threw it down on the ground, and it turned into a serpent. And Moses, the Bible says, ran from the serpent. 
And I'm sure the angel said, what are you doing? He said, oh, it's just a serpent. My, my rod turned into... You mean that in the connection to the, the mortal? You mean that in the connection to the genetic, there is a serpent? Well, of course. And one of the biggest problems in that connection to the serpent is something that is revealed in the next thing that happens. And the angel says to Moses, now pick up that snake, get a hold of it by the tail. Well, if you know anything biologically about snakes, their reproduction organ, you know, we were talking about this privacy thing that could be cut off, then you're in trouble, is located back in the tail area. He said, that's where you want to get a hold of that, of that serpent. By the, by, the, by the tail. You see, when you go back into the Bible, in the Revelations, you find out that this thing of the tail that is connected with the reproductive sex organ has been involved for eons of time. The Bible says that the, the dragon's tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. The tail did that. Where the that privacy organ member is represented. And God, through this angel, said, if you want to do something for me, if you want to be a person used of God, you've got to get hold of that genetic serpent by the tail. And you've got to control it. You just don't go on some kind of a fast and you never use it. Because it's meant to be used to produce children for God and bodies for allowing vehicles of living for other fallen spirits that are going to need bodies to get into redemption. And that was the first revelation and how important that was. And, and, and there was in that an escape velocity offered. An escape velocity. If you want to escape these things, you're going to have to get hold of them where the problem is and take command of that. And you use your hand to do it. So when the Bible's talking about Moses, stretch out your hand, Moses, stretch out the rod, <laughs> there's a lot of meaning to that. And it's deep and it's profound. The hand of God. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, to name off the fingers. And interesting enough, interesting enough, when Moses was doing some of these miracles before the magicians that were on the dark side belonging to the Pharaoh, they, he finally began to do some things that none of the magicians could do. And one of the things they said was that the finger of God is in this. And how interesting to use the word finger when we're talking the hand of God, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Well, how long was it that they knew in Egypt that the plan was to leave Goshen? 
to go into the wilderness, to get out of Egypt. They knew it for quite a long time. Moses had told them from the first start when he came back and ministered, and he was joined, uh, according to the word of the Lord, by Aaron, his brother. So they knew there was a preparation that had to happen. You have to have provisions. You have to have safety. And, and there are scriptures, and I can understand why people think that there was two million people that went out into the wilderness. Because when you read the Bible, it seems to say that, but it doesn't really say that. Because you've got to know how the Bible talks. The Bible has a way of talking. So they should have known that they're going to have to prepare for a journey. Now, they went to this, this, this city that was not that far away. And Moses had promised that the furthest they would go was three-day journey. And Pharaoh asked Moses, he said, the one thing I require is that when you take this journey and you take all of your goods, that you do not go very far. Because the deal was not to just take off and never come back. The deal was to just go out there to have a special worship time with God and then return. That was the deal they made with the Egyptians. That's why the Egyptians felt like they could loan their jewelry and advance various things of provision to the the people of Israel, because they felt like they were going to be back after the three days in the, in the wilderness. That was the deal made with Pharaoh and Egypt. But it was different from the very beginning. It was different what the plan was and what they indicated to the Egyptians it would be. And there is a name for this. And we'll get into that. Now, someone says, you know, when they found out from the Pharaoh that he finally would let them go, and they had had this death of all the firstborn of the Egyptians, they, the Bible says they just wanted to thrust Moses, Aaron, and the children of Israel out of the land. And it sounds like when you read the Bible, and I'm going to get into that, that they didn't have any time to do, have any provisions. And they just went without any provisions. Well, what were they, a bunch of idiots? After all these signs and wonders, after all these things, and they knew what God was saying, what was going to happen? And they didn't have any preparation, preparation at all? No preparation? Come on. What are they, a bunch of idiots? I don't think so. I just think that you have to be able to read the Bible the way the Bible is speaking, and you have to know that by the Spirit. If you don't know it by the Spirit, you are not going to understand it. And that's what it amounts to. Now, when Moses said, you know, we need to take our cattle. <laughs> we go, I, want you to get a, I want you to get a hold of this. If Moses takes all of the two million people, and they're pulling wagons that have food in them, and they're taking their cattle of all the different kinds. You think that they're going to be able to get to that next city in a day? 
or two or three days. You know what it is to move cattle? And some of the cattle, it takes off in one direction and the other, and they go, got to go out and keep herding it and all that. And there's two million people with children, little babes, and all kinds of people. Some people sick, some people crippled, some people with different problems, even including mental problems. Come on. I think they were, as the Bible describes it in one place, that the Bible says that God advanced, advanced Moses. Don't you understand that they knew how to preserve meat? Don't you understand that according to history, the knowledge for how to dry meat and to preserve meat goes back to 12,000 years B.C. And this was the application of the inhabitants of the Middle East and, and the Asia regions. 12,000 years, the knowledge of how to dry meat was well known. Just keep that in mind. They knew a few things of what to do, how that they could take the cow all right, but they could take them as a preserved meat. Oh, that didn't mean that they didn't take some cows. But one of the things you have to remember and understand, here's some interesting things that the Bible says. And if I get time to give you the scripture, I will. But i got to move here. The Bible says that there came to be a time when they were getting ready to leave Egypt that not a single person would dare to say anything against the people of Israel or against, especially against Moses. And it went on to say that not even a dog, not even a dog would hardly lift a bark against Israel or Moses. Even the animals could sense the reverence that was due the actions of God with this event of the Exodus escape. I find that terrifically interesting. Praise be the name. And the Bible says there were celestial connections. There were angels that went before Israel. And one time in one of my teachings I said, who were these angels in particularly? In particularly, who were they? Well, I think it's pretty clear, because in Psalm 68, they are described. And in Psalm 68, they are called the, the Shenan, which, when transliterated or translated into English, pronunciation-wise, could actually be called, be called the Shinons. And you can see this in the Hebrew uh, book of the Dictionary of Strong's Concordance, number 8136 and 8132. But Jude 8 had another name for these angels, and they were called dignities or dignitaries. And these were actually 
Ophan elect angels, described as elect angels in 1 Timothy 5.21, which had reached a state of overcoming to the point they were waiting to be reinstated, which could not happen until the white throne judgment. And they were dignitaries in that waiting. And those were the very angels that were being used to go before them. And these are the ones, for instance, at the Sinai, the Mount of Sinai, there was, there was 20,000 of those angels that showed up, along with their flying ziths called chariots of fire. Wow. Wow. And you know, we're dealing with the total number of the, that particular group of angels of being one trillion. And it's interesting that one of the latest things that they are saying right now about the Milky Way galaxy, they used to say, well, there's at least a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And then later they start saying, well, I think there may be two, 200 billion. Now they're saying that there could be as many as a trillion stars in the Milky Way. The Milky Way, of course, is the galaxy that we live in where Earth is located. And the Sun and the solar system are a part of the galaxy of the Milky Way. A trillion stars. And the Bible says in the book of Revelations, there was a trillion angels that fell. Wow. And they were the Ophanims. Is that interesting? Oh, I think it is. I think it's extremely interesting. But everybody gets a chance to think their own way. But probably, before I am through with this message today, you'll be thinking a lot about all of these things I have to say. Hmm. Well, it was on Mount Horeb when when Moses went to Midian, found himself a wife, found himself a people, and went out with his um, went out with his his cattle, his sheep, I guess it was sheep, and uh, took them further than he'd ever gone before and discovered this mountain called Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. And actually, the name means glowing, heat of the sun. And it was there that God revealed the burning bush to Moses. So interesting. Well, I want you to know that when Mo Moses did get back, and he did finally get involved with leading these people out of, of Egypt, that in Exodus 3.1, it says Moses led, L-E-D. And that comes from the verb naheg, which means forcibly and exhaustively drove the people to travel and to move out of Egypt. It was an impelling drive. Keep that in mind as we get into some of these discussions that are going to be so very important to you. 1 Samuel 
12.6 is the scripture that I quoted earlier. It is the Lord who advanced Moses and Aaron and brought the fathers out of the land of Egypt. And how did the, the waters of the Red Sea turn back? Well, later we'll get into that. But the Bible actually reveals that it was a celestial event. And we want to talk about that if we get time. And we want to tell you that at the same time we talk about the Lord being love and the Lord being mercy and the Lord being grace, in Exodus 15.3 it says the Lord is a man of war. Now what does that mean? Well, it means the Lord as being represented is a man of war. And Moses, who was a great warrior for the Egyptians and learned all those techniques when he was under uh, the Pharaoh, uh, being like an adopted son, um, was representing God. And so the Lord was being represented as a man of war. Wow. And the Bible says in the Exodus 15, 11, O Lord, who is like you among the gods? How utterly interesting. How utterly exciting. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Janet Lee at the organ.
Well, here we are, and thank you very much, Janet Lee. Absolutely awesome. Okay, now, the Exodus escape. Wow. Well, the Bible says that when Israel went out of Egypt, they went out with a high hand in the sight of the Egyptians. Exodus 14.8 And many, many other things that are so important, like in Numbers 33, 1 through 2, 53 through 54, it says they went out of Egypt with armies. And this statement is made over and over again about going out with armies. And we need to understand what really, really happened. Because until you get this picture, you're never going to know the true story about the Exodus out of Egypt. Well, the Bible says that the children of Israel went out of Egypt harnessed. And that is in Exodus 13. And I'm going to, uh, you know, to, to read it to you. Exodus 13, 18. But God led the people about through the way of the children through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now, unless you read that verse right, you will absolutely never get it correct. And remember that in the original word, the original text, there were no periods, no punctuation. Words were not separated by, by the letters. All the letters ran together. But now, let's do something with this so that you can get an understanding. Let me show you that this scripture here is speaking about two different things. Now, let me read it in a way that you can really put this into your mind because it's so absolutely very, very, very important. So here we go. Verse 18, chapter 13 of Exodus. But God led the people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now, what people was it talking about? Well, it's talking about the army of the Lord. In the 12th chapter and the 51st verse, 12 51, and it came to pass the self-same day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Now some people might read that and say, well, you know, it was their armies that was defending them and helped them to get out. No, no, no. D -d -don't, don't put that kind of baloney on me. At that time, when they were leaving, there, were no op there was no opposition. There were, the armies of 
of Egypt were not warring with them or fighting with them, resisting them to be able to leave at that time. So that is absolutely not the application. And you can't make it the application no matter how you want to try to make it the application because it's 100% not true. 100% not the case. So when it says they came out of Egypt by their armies, what then is it talking about? It's talking about exactly what it says. When they came out of Egypt, the people that came out of Egypt was 600,000 persons of Israel, children of Israel, that represented all the different families. Now, there's at least a couple places in the Bible where it shows that these sons that were chosen from 20 years old and up, and I'm sure there was a limit on how old they could be, that each of them represented all the different families of the children of Israel. <clears throat> so just as in the Bible, where um, individuals have been used to represent God, these individuals as sons were being used to represent Israel, the corporate Israel. So God as represented can be found like in uh, Genesis 50, 19, and Joseph said, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. Now that's God is represented, spoken of by Joseph. Genesis 50:19. And you can find other examples, and here's just a couple more. Exodus 3, 2 through 6, and Exodus 14, or pardon me, Exodus 4, 14 through 16. And it speaks about, and Aaron shall be to him instead of God. Aaron shall be to him instead of God. God as represented. Now, when the children of Israel borrowed and spoiled the Egyptians, and the Egyptians thought that they were going to be coming back, after three days. But that never was the intention. Well, what was the word that I said there was a word for it? The word is causeway. And this causeway was something that the children of Israel had to use. It pertained to their survival. It pertained to their life. And when there are circumstances like that, God allows there to be a causeway that can be used. And when it says um, to borrow and spoil the Egyptians, in the translation of the Hebrew, that actually means, actually means to snatch away the treasures of the Egyptians. So the borrow and spoil the Egyptians literally had the intent to snatch away the treasures of the Egyptians and never there be an intent to come back and return those. And it was a causeway. There are causeways in the Bible that are provided in these cases. So let's, let's get these pictures and let's get them straight because they are absolutely so important. 
Now we're looking at this at this uh, 18th chapter, or pardon me, this 18th verse, 13th chapter of Exodus. But God led the people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. We'll show other scriptures for this. Okay, we'll show other scriptures. But right now, let's just take that one. And we know that in the, the 51st verse of the 12th chapter, the children of Israel come out of the land by their armies. That's how they come out. They come out as an army of 600,000 uh, persons, and they do not come out with all of the children of, of, of Israel. Uh, I'm not saying there was not a few of them, but the, the people that came out was a deal that Moses and Aaron made with a whole lot of other persons there who had been slaves who also wanted to get out of Israel. Or pardon me, out of Goshen, where Israel uh, uh, lived in their area, somewhere close around. And uh, they wanted to escape from Egypt. And they were called a mixed multitude. So these foreign people made a deal with Moses. And they went out with this army, and I'm going to show you scripture, and with their cattle, And listen to me. They went out and the Egyptians didn't know the difference because there were so many of the Israelite people who were of a mixed multitude anyway. They didn't know the difference when those people went out and, and so we're going to show all of that. Now, we're not done. We're in, we're in verse 18, but God led the people, but God led the people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and Senekaki and conjunction. Now I believe that in the term and, which is used frequently in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that there is contained within that conjunction, not everyone, not every and. But in some of those conjunctions, there is contained energy dot information. And that's why they are so important. And why as a senadaki, and that's my favorite way of saying that word, that the relevance is that by representing a part of something, it infers the whole part of what has not been said. And so the rest of the story is told by what is implied by the part of the story that is revealed when you are able to apply the spiritual understanding to it. So now we got and. Let's get this. Verse 18, but God led the people through the way of the wilderness. Okay, that's one group. That's the armies. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. They, they did a different thing. They went up harnessed out of the land of, of Egypt. What did that mean? Well, the word harnessed here means five, and it means like five groups of division. So the Bible is telling us that there was two events that happened. 
The one event was the 600,000 soldiers that represented all of Israel because of the sonship and the mixed multitude and their cattle. Now, it's very possible that a lot of the cattle that Israel had got sold to Egypt. Someone said, what? Yeah, got sold. Why? Because when the angel came through Egypt and killed all of the firstborn of Egypt, the Bible says that not one cattle, not one cow was left alive of the Egyptians. They were all killed at the same time. They lost all of their of their of their their cows, their bulls. They lost all their cattle. They had none left. I mean, that would be a disaster for for a nation. That'd be a, a total disaster. Well, where was the closest source for getting cattle? The the Israelites. And why would the Israelites want to sell a bunch of their cattle? Because they needed to finance the expedition that they were taking. And that's exactly what happened. They sold a lot of their cattle, not all of it, but a lot of their cattle. And, and I'm sure that, that by the time they figured in the cattle that belonged to the mixed multitude, which in their accounting, the, Israelite, the Egyptians never caught on, they looked like they still had a lot more cattle left than they did. But they got a lot of money for selling those that ca those cattle herds that, that they sold. They didn't sell it all, but they sold a lot. There's an inference there because that would have happened because Egypt had no cattle left. So they were dealing with the, with the Egyptians. This is all part of this thing where they were getting uh, uh, victuals and they were, they were getting uh, supplies and they were getting jewelry uh, from the Egyptians. There was a trade thing going on. And I can tell you right now that the Jews, <laughs> pardon my use of this, because I think this is cute and I don't mean it in any derogatory way, the Jews got the best of the deal by far. <laughs> They're good at that kind of thing. All right, now, we got it right here. We got the, the one and the two. Verse 18. But God led the people about, about. Now, I had the time to go into that, the about, because these are the people that did not want to go the Palestinian way. And there was a reason, because the Bible says that if you take the people, the Palestinian way, with the army, that's what the inference was, and they see an army of 600,000 soldiers, all armed. The Bible said they went out armed. That's, that's, that's like right now, war. That's war. And we're going to talk about the route that they took. We're going to talk about how that there was all of these military forts along the Nile going toward the, the Mediterranean. 
and on down in the in, in toward Palestine, there, the the Egyptians there was this famous road, which was a military road that ran right along the Nile, and there were these different military forts uh, that the Egyptians had, where they had their 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 military uh, uh, post, and and they ha they had uh, uh, soldiers uh, stationed there, so no army was going to be able to go that direction, but traders could go that direction. And that is exactly how a lot of the, the Israelite people left Egypt before the, 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 the main exodus. They were going on the pre-exodus. And they left as traitors, which was going on all of the time. And, and they would go right out uh, uh, toward the, that direction because they didn't have army with them. They could not have had an army with them. Had an army, war would have ensued right there. The Bible says, and, the, and if the people saw there being a war with the Egyptians, it said they would turn back and they would not make the exodus. Now, we'll, we'll get into those scriptures. If I don't get them to, in, into them all today, I'll get into them, Lord willing, next week. But it's in the Bible. Just take a look. <laughs> all right. Now, so we got one and we got two. God led uh, them not through the land. Now listen to this, verse 17. And it came to pass when the Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, least provincial, the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. There's the scripture. I gave it to you already. Verse 17 precedes verse 18. So that's why they had to not be able to take the army. Now, when this is read, and people read this, and they don't divide up those, that, that verse into two different section, sections of, of, of uh, uh, happening, then it just gets totally confusing. And it creates two million people going into the desert with, with not, en not enough uh, uh, places to, to abide, not enough pl places to have provision, and, and, and uh, two million people having gone through the desert and leaving not even one sign, not leaving even one sign to show that they had been there. Thus that scripture that I read to you where it seemed like that their footprints had just vanished. But then when you begin to see this picture, and you see in verse 18, there's two escapes. But God led the people about. This is the ones that went around the Philistine path, around, did not go that way. And out the, uh, the wilderness of the Red Sea. And, and now when you're dealing with words like and, it, it could say but. They would both fit under the Hebrew word. But which is also a conjunction. The children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now, how did, how did they do this? What did they do? Well, the Nile was a, was a river road. We'll call, it a, we'll call it a river. It was a river road. And when you are leaving from, 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 from Goshen and you are headed to the, to the Mediterranean, uh, you don't really ha have to hardly do anything but just let the current take you. 
You, you, just, you just direct your ship. You don't need to use the sail. You only use the sail if you're going the opposite direction and you're going up toward upper Egypt. But going from lower Egypt on down to the Mediterranean, the current will just take you down there. Now, some of these Israelites, they, they, they were involved with using boats and, and uh, barges and uh, they had connections at, at, at the Mediterranean Sea where they could, they could move cattle down there, they could, they could move cargo down there, they could move people down there, and then they could follow right along the Mediterranean coast uh, to Canaan. Now, I'm absolutely positive. And, and there's, there's scripture, but I'm going to have to take the time to show you this, and I hope to be able to get that before the series is finished, to show that this is part of the groups that were harnessed. And the word means that we're divided into the five different groups. Interesting five, hand of God. The Bible says that the children of Israel went out with a, with a stretched out hand. Their arm, the stretched out arm. This means that one part of them was stretched out to another side. Whereas the other part went about the other direction. And so we've got but the children of Israel went up harnessed, out. Now, notice the difference in the language. God led, uh, led the people about through the way of the wilderness. But we've got Israel went up, up harnessed. So we've got two different terminologies of language describing two different ways that two different uh, separations of major groups, and the one group, harnessed, divided into five different uh, times that they departed. They didn't all leave at one time. This happened prior to the, the, the army exodus. And they were being, they were being shuttled out of, of, uh, of Goshen. They were being shuttled on up. They were leaving as traitors. And, and, and uh, it's incredible what they did. Okay. Now, where did they go before, where did the army go? Uh, well, now Bo Moses in the, the 19th verse did take the bones of Joseph with him. And, um, and in verse 20 it says, And they took their journey from, from uh, Sukkoth, and encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. Wow. So now we see that we have these different directions that the people went. And we're going to get into some uh, additional scriptures. We're going to get into some very uh, uh, interesting other things we have to say uh, about the meaning of this. Uh, we can find this, uh, this thing about the harness, uh, its meaning in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance, uh, number uh, 2571. And uh, it is from the root of 2570, and it, it means like ribs and like 
fifth rib, a branch of ribs, ranks. And uh, uh, theosaurus-wise, it means order, alignment, arrangement, organize. Um, a a numeral, uh, um, uh, numeral uh, fifth, uh, five apiece. Uh, that you would find that in the, the Strong's Creed Corns twenty-five sixty-eight. And so here we see both caravan, caravans, caravans being used um, uh, that didn't go the sea route, but we're also seeing uh, this this the seawater routes. Uh, they were leaving as everything from tourists to traders uh, to business people, and uh, and that is how the uh, the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Wow! So uh, look up these scriptures: Exodus thirteen seventeen through eighteen, Exodus fourteen two, and Numbers thirty three six, and the story is there. It is there. And the Bible says that they went out of Egypt with a high hand, H-A-N-D, there's that hand again, in the sight of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were watching them leave. They were watching them leave. Exodus 14.8. And, you know, uh, look, at, look at the, uh, the reference to that in the Hebrews. Strong's Concordance 73.11. These are so interesting and so important. But they go out in armies. Numbers 33.1 through 2 and Numbers 53.54. It's all in the Word of God. It's right there. And, uh, and their departure... Uh, is mentioned in Exodus 12:51, out of Israel by their numbers, harnessed out of Egypt, Exodus 13:18, departure 12:37, and at this little place where they go, that it doesn't take them very long to get there. They get there in just a very short time. How could they have done that with two million people and all the cattle? Because they didn't have two million people. They had a powerful, swift, young and older persons, very capable type of army of 600,000 persons. And they later would need that army, but they wouldn't need it to get out of Egypt. In fact, when they were trapped, they thought they were trapped by the Egyptians, who were far more superior trained for war than they were, and they were down by the sea, the Bible says that the, that the Israelites were just absolutely scared. They, they, they thought that they were all going to die. Even though they had, this, they had the, 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 the 600,000 men of war there. So don't give me the idea that 
that's how they got out. They went out by the armies. The armies defended them against the Egyptians, and that's how they got out. If it wasn't for the fact that the armies of, 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 uh, of, the, of Egypt, that army of Egypt and all their, their chariots and soldiers were drowned in the Red Sea. And if they instead would be warring against the Israelites, uh, uh, I'll tell you, that Pharaoh who was the Pharaoh at the time, if I have, before this series is over, I'll be describing something about him. And what a war uh, <clears throat> uh, a, a person that he was. And the knowledge that he had and how advanced he was in war. So when he was leading out that army, and it was, it was a, large, a large army of equal number of men. And, and these were highly trained uh, of, of, you know, people that had been in constant warfare. And, and, and for Israel to just fight them on, on their level, and they had you know, chariots, and they had uh, very uh, advanced weapons of war, uh, they, they figured that they would just all be dead. So again, don't give me the story that by their armies, that's how they got defended and were taken out of, out of, out of Egypt. That is 100% against the Bible and against what the Bible teaches. And it was the Red Sea that destroyed the Egyptian army, not the armies of Israel. All right. Now, I hope you're beginning to get some stuff. Now, let's look at a, pl a place here where we're talking about uh, uh, the vitriol preparation, because here's a real big misunderstanding. Let's look at Exodus 12, and let's take a peek at this. This is very important revelation I'm going to give you. Okay. Now, in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. They're talking about all their firstborn that were killed by the angel of the Lord. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their nodding troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold. Uh, that's all God told them what to do. That was a causation told by God. And the Lord gave the Egyptians favor in the sight of the and the Lord gave the people uh, favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them lent unto them such things as they required. And they, meaning the Israelites, spoiled. And I told you what the meaning of that really was. The, the, the uh, Egyptians. And um, now, what does it mean when it says, and a mixed multitude went up also with them? It's talking about the people that went up with the army, with the army that went out into the wilderness. This was these, this, this group of the mixed individual which, if you look up the word mixed, it means foreigners. They were, they were, not, they were not Israel persons. Uh, sometimes uh, if a foreign person wanted to become an Israelite and uh, they took various vows and, and, and they were circumcised, they could not be an Israelite. They could not be part of the congregation uh, of, the, of God unless they were circumcised. 
uh, and then they would be treated as though they were born uh, in, in, in the land just as the, the Israel-born persons were. But these people were not those. They were a mixed a group that uh, the Israelites army wisely used and by the same time it was a great opportunity of escape for these foreign people who uh, did not have an army and did not have uh, the knowledge or a leader like Moses and Aaron, leaders like Moses and Aaron and and uh, they desperately wanted out of Egypt and so they looked like the people of Israel but the people of Israel instead were being substituted by these mixed foreign uh, uh, a group, a large mixed foreign group. And they were getting out uh, as traders, as tourists, and as business people shipping all the way down uh, to the Mediterranean uh, on the, on the, on the uh, Nile uh, River that ran right into it, and then on down the coast of, uh, of, uh, uh, along the, of the Mediterranean, along uh, the way to, uh, to Canaan. And so that's what literally happened. Now, this scripture is going to sound like it's quite different. It's going to sound like it's quite different. Now, let's just listen to this. We're in the uh, 12th chapter. Uh, they spoiled the Egyptians, verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to, to uh, Sukkoth, 600,000 on foot, and they were, they were men besides children, and a mixed multitude went up also with them, uh, and so forth. Now, um, we've got to get this understood this thing about children. Because a lot of times when people say children, they think, oh, well, this is talking about babies and little kids. Not necessarily. When the Bible talks about the children of Israel, most of the time they're talking about a grown adult people. Now the Bible tells us in the 65th chapter of Isaiah that, that the day will come when an infant will still be an infant until he is 100 years old. When he dies at 100 years old, if he dies at 100 years old, he will still be considered a child, an infant. That's Bible. So when the Bible tells us in the, the book of Psalms, chapter 90, that the lifespan is 70 to 80 years, it means that People never reach out beyond being a, ch a child. That's why they're still called the children of Israel. Because they, ne they, don't, they don't reach, especially in those times, to ever be past 100 years old. So they never are in that group that's called adults in, in, in the accounting of God. So in this accounting of God, it's very, 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 very interesting. So, I hope you're getting that, because that is so interesting. And so here, here it is. Now, let's see if I can, I can, I just want to finish this, it's so important. And it says, because they were thrust out, we're in verse 39 of the 12th chapter, uh, uh, you know, it says, and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any vigil. Now, people read this and they say, well, you see, 
They were thrust out so they didn't even have the victuals. They didn't have the storage of food. They didn't have any preparations like, like dried meat. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's talking about is there was a thing, you can read it in earlier chapters, that Moses said to him, I don't want you to have any kind of leaven, even in your homes, at the time that we're having these special sacred things of unleavened worship. He said, I don't, even, I don't want any, any of that leaven so that you accidentally use it because he said this is very, very serious before God. So the people did not have any, any leaven. And what it is talking about here when it says vigil is saying that when they left Egypt, they did not even have any leaven that they could take with them. And so they just then went into basically full-time just eating unleavened bread. But it wasn't saying that they didn't have other provisions. I mean, that would have made all of them idiots to think that they would be, that, that, that after all of these uh, uh, prophecies, all of this instruction, all of this knowledge, all of the exchange they were having with the Egyptians, all of the things of the miracles that they saw happening, and they didn't even pay, they didn't even prepare themselves to exit from, from, from Egypt. They weren't even prepared. No, no. That would make them all idiots. That is 100 billion percent incorrect as an interpretation, and that's the kind of interpretation people are giving it, and it's wrong, 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 wrong. It was talking about, and you can go back, you can read what it says before it, you can read what it says after it, but this was all about, this visual was all about the leaven. It was about this unleavened bread and about not having it in their homes. But then when they got ready to leave because of that and because what they had just been through with this last thing of the Passover, they did not have any leaven in their homes. And so they had to leave without having any leaven. And that was the vitriol they did not have. That was not talking that they didn't have any preparations of any kinds of foods, of any kinds of other things. But keep in mind that when the children of Israel, that part which was going to go the direction of down the Nile to the Mediterranean and then across the other direction, keep in mind that those people were going to meet back up with the Egyptian army at a later time. Okay, right now we're going to take a break here. Janet Lee at the organ.
you, Janet Lee. Thank you, Janet Lee. That is so awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, I can hardly, I can hardly believe it. Our time is up. And I just feel like I was just getting started. There's so much more to say. So much, oh, such interesting, incredible things I wanted to share. But you know what? Next week, next broadcast, we'll be back, Lord willing. And we will finish some of these most incredulous revelations. Because this series is going to go on. And it's going to cover a lot of ground. And we thank you that are out there listening. We thank you that are faithful. And we thank you that are standing by this ministry. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Janet.